VOC Nation Radio Network, wrestling with history, and we are back after a one-week hiatus. The voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick, and we always drop on Wednesdays right here on VOC Nation or your favorite podcast apps. That's right, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Play, whatever you get, wherever you get your podcast, you can get Wrestling With History. Just search for VOC Nation Radio Network and you get all of the VOC Nation programming. But this one is myself and the legendary former AWA, LPWA, of course, WWE, WWF. And a whole bunch of other places. Mr. Ken Resnick is the star of the show. How are you doing, Ken? Uh, well, I, I might take umbrage with being the, the star of the show. You are, after all, the voice of choice. I mean, you've got a whole network named after you. But uh, I'm doing well. Happy December, my friend. Uh, it was a, a really nice day in Minnesota today for December 1st. Clear skies and upper 30s. Uh <laughs> But it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, we're just going to tease you, enjoy the day, but winter's coming. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a good Thanksgiving holiday? Um, I had a really great Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, some people that are very special to me uh, kind of surprised me, came over, visited, and uh, brought a literally an entire Thanksgiving dinner from roast turkey to mashed potatoes to dressing to corn to cranberries to pumpkin pie to homemade banana bread. So uh, I had uh, didn't think it was going to be anywhere near, but it turned out to be a, a really nice uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, two football games on. Um, two out of three ain't bad. Two, two out of three ain't bad, and um, I'm <clears throat> guessing, no, you know, you hail in the Philadelphia area, that there is probably no NFL team right now happier to not have fans in the stadium more than the Philadelphia Eagles, mm. having watched Monday Night Football, remembering Philly fans <laughs> Once booed Santa Claus, I can only imagine what might have transpired had there been fans at the stadium last night. Oh, yeah, tough, tough. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Very tough, <laughs> tough season for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Very tough. But uh, listen, uh, great Thanksgiving. Lots of good food. Hopefully all the fans out there had a good Thanksgiving as well. Thankfully, we don't have to take your calls to hear about it. But we do hope that you had a great Thanksgiving out there in uh, VOC Nation land. And Ken, the last time that we were together, we talked, uh, we've, we've been talking about 1984 for the last uh, several weeks, I think, uh, uh, almost maybe eight, eight weeks in 1984, big year in pro wrestling. Obviously, the, the biggest headline was Hulk Hogan making the jump from the AWA over to WWF. I, I, I hesitate to say that because we might as well just standardize on E. Uh, but Hulk Hogan making the jump from AWA to WWE, uh, winning the title in January of 1984. And we've, we've had a little bit of fun about who would have – 
taken that role if Hulk Hogan didn't make the jump from the AWA. And we had a few weeks of just lots of feedback coming from that episode that we did about who would have done it. You, you ended up saying Ric Flair or Randy Savage. I listed Jimmy Snuka. But there was a lot of people that came back with feedback. And I don't know if you scanned the wrestling websites last week, Ken, but a lot of, a lot of um, coverage about Sergeant Slaughter being one of those choices. And the websites hung on some feedback you gave about Sergeant Slaughter. And it was really a listener question that came in about him uh, leaving the WWF over licensing issues and lots of coverage there. And he's one of those people where uh, Vince McMahon doesn't like people controlling their outside destinies from the WWF, right? Or WWE. I, I said we'd standardize there. It was WWF back in the era that we're covering, but it's WWE now. So we'll just use the E. But, you know, that wasn't cool with Vince McMahon, and it still isn't. He's restricting people's social media. Uh, I think uh, one of the young ladies just got fired for having an outside account. For certain, Sergeant Slaughter wouldn't have been able to do his Hasbro stuff if he had stayed with Vince, right? Uh, I mean, th that would be, you know, my guess in that either he wouldn't have been able to do it or he would have had to cut Vince in for a cut and have Vince almost uh, assume uh, kind of a managerial being able to, to call the shots, uh, which, you know, I, I don't think Sarge, as I know him, you know, would have gone for or, you know, really should he have. And uh, we talked about it before. I mean, to this day, as popular as a G.I. Joe you know, was then, is still now, he is still the only actual human being, uh, real-life individual, to be featured in the G.I. Joe series. So, I mean, it was certainly a, a windfall for him, not only financially, but in terms of notoriety. And, and I don't think he would have given that up, just, you know, my guess. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. To, and, and, you know, we're, all, we're playing, uh, we're, we're looking back, so... It's interesting to think about how things could have played out. And it'd almost be fun to live in an alternate universe, Ken, and go back through time with different scenarios. I'm sure that'll be available to us someday. Maybe it'll be part of a coronavirus vaccine version five. You'll have a chip that embeds that enables you to go back in time and relive things in different ways. Well, I, I, I'm guessing coming off that, there has been you know, so many reincarnations of television shows, it's only a matter of time before the time tunnel get, gets re recreated in a modern day. And, you know, maybe you can, when that happens, you can submit that as well, a potential storyline. I like it. I like it. I like it. So listen, Ken, before I get into the mailbag stuff, I, I want to remind everybody that you can go to vocnation.com and get your uh, Killer Ken Resnick t-shirt. Killer Ken made it real. Just click on the shop button on the left-hand side. Not only can you get Ken's shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees, and, and there's going to be, there was a sale for Black Friday, but there's going to be other sales as we, we get into the holiday season. So make sure you get your t-shirts. You can get VOC Nation shirts there. You can get in the room shirts with Brady's ugly picture on it. Uh, 
Shelly Martinez, Sestro has shirts. Um, make sure you go to VOCNation.com and get your merchandise. It helps support the network and support the show. But speaking of and network. Great gift, and a great gift-giving idea for the holidays. It, it is a tremendous gift-giving idea. <laughs> and uh, especially if they get a deal on it, you know. I think I saw what the Pro Wrestling Tees did 20%, 30% during Black 20, Friday. 20 20% off uh, for Black Friday. I think that ended uh, yesterday, but I, I think it's a very good point that I would imagine they will have some sort of sale again, you know, nearing uh, the holidays. And it's nice. It comes out of our pocket, not theirs. <laughs> they're, they're nice enough to give us that story and, and we appreciate it but before we get into the mailbag and and then close out 1984 i've been saying on twitter and the network has been tweeting some big news that's coming down the pike and we will tell everybody about that news right after we take our first break in a little bit um, I, it's significant, Ken, and you and I have talked offline. I haven't given you exactly where we're going with this, but significant news about our talent roster, and I'm sure that everybody's going to want to make sure that you tune in until at least after the first break so you hear what we got going on. Sound good? Absolutely. All right, let's get to some feedback from the last show. Uh, Power Surge, and this is an abbreviated title. Uh, it, I'm not going to spell it out. But he says, Sarge is still the only actual living person to be featured. He's quoting what we said or what you said or what I said. I don't know who said it. But he's quoting our episode, and it says, William the Refrigerator Perry begs to disagree. Yes, Sarge came first, but he wasn't the only one. Heck, years later, Piper got a figure as an exclusive Piper worked for Destro. So I'm not a fan of G.I. Joe, Ken. Can you confirm that William Perry and Roddy Piper were featured in G.I. Joe? Uh, I, I, I can't, uh, but uh, that's not to say they weren't. Just I, I, I'm not familiar with it. Absolutely, Sarge was the first, uh, and I know he was not only – you know, in the cartoon series, he was in G.I. Joe, the movie. Uh, there were Sergeant Slaughter figures in G.I. Joe toy vehicles that, you know, you would go. And, and uh, I think one was like the Warthog, but, you know, featuring Sergeant Slaughter. So you'd buy the G.I. Joe toy and there was a, a Sergeant Slaughter figure in the toy. Uh, and, you know, um Refrigerator Perry and, and Roddy Piper uh, were certainly featured in, in other things, but right. I'm not aware that they, they were in uh, G.I. Joe. No, and, and listen, and thanks for the feedback, Power Surge, but I'm looking it up. Sergeant Slaughter was the only one to be, actually be in the cartoon, and we're talking about a regular character in G.I. Joe. So 
we're not talking about cameos or just toys, and I'm sure Fridge and Piper both had those things, but Sergeant Slaughter was a real part of the show. He was part of G.I. Joe, and, and that's what we were saying. So thank you for the oversight. We appreciate it, and we appreciate the checks and balances, but we stand correct on our assertion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was... Uh... Even in terms of, of the cover, you know, back then it came out on VHS, uh, the G.I. Joe, the movie. I mean, Sarge was predominant, you know, even on the cover and had a predominant storyline uh, in the movie. I mean, for a, a number of years, uh, he went all over, you know, representing uh, the G.I. Joe line. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, he was big in that. Now, Ken, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was very young back in the, in the early 80s, and I wasn't necessarily a fan fan until, you know, the middle to the late 80s. So, and, and without having the research right in front of me, Sergeant Slaughter was a heel for most of his time in the 70s and, and the early part of the 80s, right? Um. I think he started off, but he was pretty much uh, uh, a baby face. And certainly, you know, in, in the feuds with uh, the Iron Sheik, right. uh, you know, and from that point on, I mean, he was a baby face. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have fit in the, the G.I. Joe series. And, uh, you know, since then, uh, he was a baby face other than, uh, you know, I think that, uh, relationship, you know, uh, either ended or he became a very minor part, uh, you know, and then when Vince used him, I mean, he was a consummate heel, uh, traitor in, in that whole run with, uh, General Adnan. No, that's, that's, that's definitely for sure. I just wasn't sure about his role in the seventies. Cause I got a note from Richard C., and Richard C. says, sports columnist Lou Friedman in August 1985 on Sergeant Slaughter's face turn said, talk about your overnight sensation. Slaughter had been wrestling for 10 years and suddenly he was hotter than Dwight Gooden. So I didn't know if that meant that he was a heel for 10 years. And then when he turned face to, to wrestle the Iron Sheik and have that feud, then all of a sudden he became white hot, as they say in uh, pro wrestling. So, and does that does that ring a bell, Ken? Uh, you know, I, I I think that may have been more about his his you know really rise to stardom, uh, because I went to WWF in 1986, and it was huge news. He had come here uh, to the AWA as part of Pro Wrestling USA. Uh, when I was still doing interviews and, and commentary, and that's when we met and really became good friends. So he was, and, and when he came here as part of Pro Wrestling USA in, I want to say probably 80, late 84, 85, he was a huge star and, you know, baby face. Yeah. So that column may have been more about, not so much uh, an actual heel to face turn, but about his, you know, kind of going from 
maybe mid-card to absolute main event. And maybe Sergeant Slaughter is going to be the major personality that's on his way to VOC Nation. You'll have to find out after the break. Mike Axelrod says, if Sarge got the Hogan spot, he would be able to wipe his behind, and he didn't use behind, with the G.I. Joe money. After all, Sarge did get the G.I. Joe money in real life, and he has to be a working stiff in the WWE office for 25 years because G.I. Joe doesn't pay his bills anymore. Hulk Hogan hasn't had to have a regular job in his adult life. Uh, pretty good point. I don't know what the royalties are on G.I. Joe, but my guess is that they, they don't pay as much as the fortune and fame of the WWE. Yeah, and uh, in fact, I, I just corresponded and texted with Sarge uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I mean, uh, WWE is still using him uh, quite a bit for appearances and things. So, I mean, he he certainly has the the staying power. And, you know, I, I think Sarge certainly could have carried the role, but I think uh, – his comments may have been right in that he may not have made the the huge money, you know, Hulk did. But remember, besides wrestling, uh, you know, uh, Thunderlips and Rocky and uh, Hulk had, what, two or three of his own, you know, TV shows and, and movies and things. So, you know, his career where Sarge's has transcended wrestling, you know, in, in the – 80s and and 90s into G.I. Joe, Hulk financially transcended wrestling into TV, you know, into movies, you know, reality TV, just a a lot of other things. One more piece of mail and then we'll take a break and get into uh, the rest of 1984 transitioning into 85. Uh, This is Bishop and, and we like Bishop because he he or he or she, I don't know, uh, pronouns, pr- pronouns, pal. I don't know uh, the gender of this person. But Bishop says, one of the things that often gets overlooked about Hogan from that era is, for the most part, he really did keep his nose fairly clean, or at least kept his vices well concealed. That in and in of itself is probably a fairly underrated aspect of that era's success. A lot of the other guys like to party in a very public fashion. When you look at the product McMahon was presenting, that might have been very difficult to contain or change habits under that intense of a spotlight. I think you can also make the argument that Hogan of that era was fairly open to having McMahon mold the narrative and public persona. Together, they did present a pretty airtight product for a good seven or eight years. I think that's why McMahon liked Cena as well. Say what you will. Cena was a reliable creation for 15 years. No major scandals. An ability to withstand the WWE marketing marathons. It's not just the travel from wrestling. It's the interviews, the public appearances. And dare I say, Hogan and Cena are probably the best at enduring those demands. Great feedback from Bishop. And we've talked about this before. The schedule is a nightmare. And that was one of the things that almost made Hogan not come to the WWF, WWE back in 1984. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked about it. Uh, I mean, you and I have when, you know, I, I wasn't close away from the business hanging out with Hulk when he was in the AWA. We always got along. And I remember the conversation, you know, when he was thinking about it, uh, 
And one of the things uh, he said, uh, direct quote, that he said, Vern can offer me one thing that Vince can't, and that's time off. You know, once Hulk made that jump, uh, you know, and beat Iron Sheik and was given the title, I mean, he probably was working, I want to say, you know, 26 to 29 days a month. Uh, and remember, back then it was a different city every day, uh, and it was hard and and grueling. Uh, and it's a very valid comment from Bishop. Uh, besides the wrestling, it was all you know the interviews and appearances, you know, in the market, you know, on news shows, you know, on local talk shows. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, he, uh, they talk about people today being the, the face of the franchise uh, or one of the faces. Hulk was the face. You know, now today, the way Vince's role, although, you know, he, he's stepping back a little bit, but for a long time, you know, Vince was the kind of the one of certainly the faces of the WWE when, you know, they went more to the sports entertainment era. But back then, I mean, Hulk was the guy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Exactly. Inside and outside of WWE, I mean, you think about Sports Illustrated, the talk shows, it was definitely more than a full-time job. There's no personal time. And and, uh, as I, I think it was Bishop pointed out too, Hulk, was not a a a partier a, a drinker um he really kept his nose clean i mean you know other than steroids which just about everybody was using and people kind of have a tendency to forget back then steroids weren't illegal um but i mean he he was pretty much scandal free kept his nose clean you know, lived the the, the storyline, <clears throat> and a lot of times, you know, after the matches, he would just go back to his room because of his just physical stature. He really couldn't go anywhere unnoticed. Exactly. And, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, we've heard the stories about, you know, Elvis Presley, the same thing. I mean... Hulk, you know, if Preston was in a disguise, from a physical standpoint, he could blend in. But Hulk couldn't blend in anywhere. So, you know, he, you know, he, he didn't get in, in any trouble. And I would say uh, it's a very good analogy. <clears throat> I, I mean, you know, in terms of, of Hulk, his character was pretty well established even in the AWA, you know, Vince certainly tweaked it, but didn't create it as much as others. Right. Yeah. And, and just to get back to your point, pretty hard to blend in at six, eight, 300 pounds or give or take a few. All right. right. 
Ken, that's the mailbag, at least the mailbag that we're going to read for today. We got to close out 1984. And on the other side of this break, I have a big announcement that fans are not going to want to miss. So we'll be back right after you hear about our wonderful sponsors. It's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality, Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOCNation. Back here on Wrestling With History exclusively on the VOC Nation radio network. And VOC Nation is available uh, everywhere, <laughs> anywhere, everywhere, <laughs> all over the place, anywhere that you get your favorite uh, podcasts, uh, whatever app that you use, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you like to listen to your podcasts on, just search for VOC Nation and hit subscribe and you'll get all of our shows. Besides Wrestling With History here every Wednesday with Ken Resnick and I, you have uh, Brady Hicks from Pro Wrestling Illustrated and former WCW star The Maestro and in the room on Tuesdays, Shelly Martinez former WWE diva and TNA knockout does uh, Shelly live on Wednesdays. You got Stroh with WCW uh, retro on Thursdays, sassy Steffi with talking sass on the weekends. Uh, actually she drops on Thursday as well. And then Briscoe and big ace uh, West Briscoe on Sundays here on VOC nation. And Ken, we've been in negotiations, uh, for a little while and uh we're we're closing in on a deal with a legendary pro wrestling personality actually two of them but one is farther along than the other i think we're going to be able to make two big announcements in the next two weeks but uh this is major ken and uh, I, I want to give you a chance to guess when i when i ask you who do you think uh when when you think of pro wrestling personalities not in-ring performers but the media type what do you think when you think of that type of person well you know, I, I've got to be honest uh I, I know who it is I mean you know Brady Hicks and I have talked and Brady clued me in and, and Bruce I know you know you've talked about you know the the the, the big name the the wealth of information yes the, the credibility, the knowledge this this person is bringing, and I know the negotiations are are, 
are getting down to it. I, I, I hear it's down to that, that one of you is, is offering the, the milk chocolate Snickers and the other wants the dark chocolate Snickers, which is harder to find, but I'm sure you'll come to a compromise. But, yeah, I've got to be honest. I mean, you know, Brady told me, and, you know, I, I, I'm not a, under a, any obligation to not reveal, and you made a big deal, but I've I got to be honest. I've never heard of this guy, Forrest Bump. I, uh, you spoiled it. You spoiled it for everybody, Ken. You know, I, I, I mean, I, obviously he's taking the name of another, but for, you know, there's, everybody takes bumps, but I, Forrest Bump, I don't know who that is. <laughs> That's what Brady told me. And, you know, Brady's a, uh, as Gorilla Monsoon used to say, Brady is an absolute fountain of misinformation. So I believe him. Exactly. Exactly. You can't take anything that Brady Hicks says uh, seriously or or with a grain of truth. No, Ken, we've been talking so tragically, and and this is um, this is tragic. Uh, Bob Ryder, who started OneWrestling.com, passed away um, last week. I think it was right before the Thanksgiving holiday, and Bob worked for Impact Wrestling. He was uh, one of the pioneers of the internet wrestling phenomenon. And Bob was uh, an early entry into that world. And for many years, he ran OneWrestling.com. It was one of the top wrestling news sites out there. And uh, maybe 15 years ago, a little less, uh, Bill Apter joined OneWrestling.com. And just a quick story is when I was doing sports radio in Philadelphia, I did some charity work with Bill and Bill came on my show a few times. And the next thing you know, I was, uh, I was getting wrestlers to come on the show and uh, the rest is history. We, we syndicated the show uh, on different avenues around the country. We, uh, we cracked the hundred thousand listener mark on the internet several times which was uh, tough to do in that era it wasn't podcasts weren't as big as they they are now in 2010 and we we really built something and bill was a big part of that i uh, i had some time with bill and and did some some uh, columns on one wrestling and i'm happy to say that uh, the unfortunate news of last week has led to Bill and I reconnecting and trying to work out a deal. So we're in negotiations for Bill Apter uh, to join VOC Nation. I think we're going to get it done. It's weird for me to talk about it uh, and, and not feel like we're going to get it done. But there's a lot of places out there that Bill could go. And uh, he's highly sought after. There's a lot of great sites like uh, 411 Mania and WrestleZone and Wrestling Inc., there's a lot of places that would love to have Bill. And uh, Ken, I think the thing for us is we're not a news site, so we stay agnostic and we love all of those sites. And uh, we like them as partners because they cover what you and I have to say and, and what our other shows have to say. We're hopeful that we can bring Bill after to this show on VOC Nation as a third man in the booth to go through history with us. And I think that would be a very exciting proposition if we can let the ink dry. Uh, I mean, you know, I have known Bill. Uh, I, I think a lot of 
you know, certainly fans of the, of the glory years of, of wrestling, uh, late 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, you know, Bill is most well-known for, of course, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the, the magazine. Uh, I first met Bill. He would photograph some of the matches at ringside way back when I started in the AWA. So, yeah, I've known Bill after since uh, the, the mid-'80s. Uh, instant credibility, I mean, tremendous knowledge. And as you and I have, have talked about before, that, you know, even the biggest names in wrestling, certainly from the, the 80s and into the 90s, the Internet didn't exist. There, there weren't the super station, you know, cable stations out there. So at an arm's length, you kind of kept up as best you could with what the other promotions were doing, but you were pretty much focused on whatever part of the promotion you were in, you know, whether it was production as an announcer, you know, as a wrestler, you first and foremost, you were, you know, engrossed in your own promotion. Bill was everywhere. He covered everything. Uh, I mean, to know Bill is to love Bill. Just a great guy. He'll be a uh, a, a great, great uh, addition. And as, as I've said, you know, I was lucky enough in my career, I was a guest on Piper's Pit, and I was a guest on the After Chat, so it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, I've got tremendous uh, love and respect for Bill After. Um, he'll be a great addition to... Vox Nation, and hopefully a, a great, great addition to uh, Wrestling With History, uh, joining you and me. I mean, he, he's as, as good as there is. If we can get the deal done, and there, there's still some work to do. So uh, we'll be keeping you up to date for the next couple of weeks, and hopefully by the time the holidays hit, we can bring Bill on and officially sign that contract and uh, right behind that I think we have another pretty significant person uh, these are two Hall of Fame level talents that we're talking about uh, Bill after not in the WWE <coughs> excuse me not in the WWE Hall of Fame but he should be and uh, the other person as well but but very historic figures in pro wrestling so stay tuned to VOC Nation for more on that you can follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation by the way, Ken, there is a brand new Twitter handle for this show, and uh, it's called Resnick VOC Pod. So it's got you and I both represented, and uh, instead of just tweeting me at Bruce VOC, uh, Resnick VOC Pod is the Twitter handle that's specific to this show. So make sure you go out and follow that, and you'll get all of our episodes tweeted to you and uh, any news of the show. So. Ken, you're officially part of the Twitter universe. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, a lot of people have asked over the years, oh, I am not on Twitter. And I used to say, because I'm just not, you know, interesting enough. But uh, the, the best thing, uh, especially considering the, the year that, that 2020 has been for most everyone, uh, at least Vox Nation is one of the few that is looking up towards 2021 to a, a more promising and brighter future with the addition of Bill Apter and the yet-to-be-named second big, big name. 
We're excited and we'll continue to bring you great programming right here on the VOC Nation radio network. Let's get into the rest of 84. Close this out and we can start 1985 uh, either at the end of this show or next week. So a couple bit more uh, major things that I just want to cover, Ken. We talked about um, a lot of things already. We talked about the Hulk Hogan uh, WWF uh, WWE championship win ad nauseum. We talked about uh, Roddy Piper uh, with the first Piper's Pit on uh, WWE television. Uh, Pro Wrestling USA, we talked about that starting up uh, on September 29th, 1984. And that was uh, Jim Crockett and the AWA uh, and, and some other NWA affiliates. They come together to, uh, to help to stave off the WWF and they aired their first TV show on WPIX. TV in New York City. And Ken, we're going to talk more about Pro Wrestling USA as we get into 85 and 86. But just one more time for the fans. This was Vern and Jim Crockett and some of the other promoters getting together and saying, hey, we're not going to let Vince McMahon do this easily. We're going to try to get together and use our star power and put together one TV show that has the biggest of the big stars of the NWA and the AWA. Uh, I think you're right, and more so, it was an acknowledgement by these other promoters that, you know, not only is Vince trying to do this, it looks like he is doing this, and we have got to do something to stop him. I think when Vince kind of first went public with his plan, uh, I think a lot of promoters didn't put a lot of stock into it. They felt that, you know, their territories and, and their fans were basically sacrosanct that, you know, no, you know, promotion out of New York is going to come into our markets and take our fans. Uh, and, you know, they were wrong. And they began to see that. And, it, it was pulled together, uh, you know, WPIX, ESPN. Um, but I, I think it was one of those where they kind of built the house before they had the foundation set sure. that, you know, they hadn't really determined, you know, how they were going to work together, you know, who was going to have the say on finishes. It, it was kind of, uh, the best analogy is like a, a, a rush to judgment, a, a rush to, to get this thing done to kind of try and halt the, the Vince WWF train that had left the station and was heading, you know, right for you. Um, so it, it had a ton of promise, a, a ton of talent, but the biggest problem was every promoter thought, their talent should be going over uh, and be the, the flag bearer. Uh, and it just, you know, didn't, didn't work um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it drew, it had really good ratings, but the money they had to pay to try and 
block Vince and, and get on New York and, and get on uh, ESPN. Uh, it was a business model that you knew was kind of destined to fail, I think. Yeah, I thought about Pro Wrestling USA over the weekend, and you'll find it funny because I, I didn't even know that this was happening. It, it's weird how, how I just, maybe I've been so focused on the, the politics uh, news for, for so long because that's really all that's been talked about. But somehow, someway, I missed the fact that Mike Tyson was fighting Roy Jones Jr. And you and I had talked about Pro Wrestling USA a little bit uh, in previous episodes, even going back to the first version of this show that we we did going back, uh, I guess, two years now. And we talked about the fact that it failed ultimately because nobody wanted to take do the job. I mean, there, there was, uh, it's just a bunch of uh, no finishes and it was, or, or, you know, job matches, things like that. But I saw Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. fighting on Saturday. I didn't watch the fight, but unsurprisingly, at the end, you see all these people saying, well, Tyson should have won, Tyson should have won, but it was ruled a draw. And my, my pro wrestling brain immediately jumped out and said, well, that was by design. Neither one of those guys, they're both in their 50s. Neither one of them wanted to lose. They wanted a huge payday. And they said, don't hit me too hard. Let's drag this thing out a full eight, not rounds, I think it went. And we'll, we'll agree on a draw. Yeah, and, and remember, they were for this fight, they were only two-minute rounds, not three-minute rounds. Amazing. And it was for a title, Ken. They, they made up this title that they were fighting for. Isn't that- well, at least they were honest about that. Or uh, they said, you know, the, the, this fight with these great champions, the winner deserves a title belt. And if, if anyone doubts that they decided to go to a draw, they, they had designed this title belt. But at the post-fight press conference, there were miraculously two title belts. <laughs> Unbelievable. So did that surprise you that this was a draw? And do you think that fans got cheated out of really seeing a, a, a true exhibition? Uh, well, I mean, they, they had telegraphed a, a, a little bit that, you know, they weren't really out to, to hurt one another. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think a, a lot of, you know, boxing media types did as best they can uh, to to hype the fight. Um, I happen to see uh, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN, who evidently is good friends with Roy Jones Jr., hype it to the point where he literally said he was afraid for Roy Jones Jr.'s life oh, having to step in the ring with Mike Tyson. Uh, forgetting, you know, Tyson can still, you know, punch hard, but they, you know, were wearing padded gloves. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was one of those, hey, hit me, but, you know, don't be hitting me hard now. <laughs> um, yeah. The, and the, it, it was a $50 pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was interesting where, you know, they said that, a portion of it is going to go to charity. Yeah, what portion? Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I, I will tell you one thing. Uh, Mike Tyson might be 50 years old, but he is still one 
scary looking dude. I mean, yeah, yeah. he is, he is in shape. Uh, you probably don't know this, but uh, I was actually at both the Tyson Holyfield fights in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and I remember in, in the the second fight, um, you know, I, I'm sitting there and I was, you know, about you know good seats. I was about twelve rows back, uh, and it was like I saw it, and my brain is going, he couldn't possibly have just bit him. It's like it must be a gimmick. Oh, you, you saw know, the bite. Was, I was at the bite fight. I still, in fact, I still have my my ticket stubs. Um, so, you know, I mean, boxing, unfortunately, and we've seen it, you know, and in all these guys kind of coming back or staying in. And now I think Floyd Mayweather is talking about, you know, unretiring. I mean, it's like Oscar De La Hoya is making noise. It's to me, and I know we're, we we got to finish 1984 quick, but it's like boxing has kind of moved more towards the pro wrestling entertainment genre, and UFC has kind of replaced boxing in that, okay, this is going to be a real fight. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's no, that's very, very true. Uh, you just can't trust what you're actually getting from boxing these days because uh, the promoters have so much influence. And yeah, it, it just did it remind you of Pro Wrestling USA like like it did for me. I, I wasn't uh, there for Pro Wrestling USA, but I just I I remember you talking about the the downfall, and then I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, I mean, the only difference is, uh, and, and that was just a negative towards the promoters, but the wrestlers themselves, I, I mean, you know, they, the efforts they were giving on Pro Wrestling USA, the, the, the matches and efforts were, were, were fabulous. I, I, I don't think you could equate that same description to the Tyson's Roy Jones Jr. fight, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, Ken, while we're on the Tyson uh, Holyfield, were you there for the, the, the um, what do you call it, the paratrooper, the, the uh, skydiver too? No, that was a... Uh, Holyfield Foreman, right? Was that, that different? Uh, yeah, it was one of the outdoor fights. Uh, both of the, the Tyson Holyfield fights were indoors at the MGM Grand. Got it. But you were there for the bite, and uh, do, do you think that that was ultimately a stunt? Oh, God, no. He, I mean, he bit him, and you could, you know, when you replay it, you could see a piece of Holyfield's ears come off. No, no but, I, but I mean, do you think they set that up? Do you think that was a work to, to generate publicity? I, I, no, I just no. can't. I mean, this is a human being that actually decided in the moment that he was going to bite his ear. Is that just how unpredictable Mike Tyson was uh, at that, that point that, in time? I, 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 I would say that is far more likely to have been the case than, than something that was agreed upon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, no, I think he just, that's Mike Tyson. I, I mean, you, you look at, um, I mean, there's a, a, a 
violent history there. Uh, you know, and I give Mike Ty, give Mike a little credit where he came out after the fight and said, yeah, I smoked marijuana right before the fight, and I smoked marijuana right after the fight. That's just who I am. <laughs> Did, have you ever met Mike Tyson personally? No. No. Uh, I, I came close uh, on a couple occasions, but, uh, I mean, we were in the same area two different times, but I have never met him. Uh, Evander Holyfield, yes. Mike Tyson, I've never met. So he never bit your ear. No. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, August of, of uh, 1984, Vince McMahon purchases Stampede Wrestling from Stu Hart and absorbs the promotion into WWF. So that's where we got Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart and the British Bulldogs. So was you were back in the AWA in 84. Was Stampede a well-known promotion outside of Canada uh, was was that known by anybody other than hardcore wrestling fans at the time oh it it, it, it was because uh, I would say other than Vern uh, Stu Hart was known I mean for the dungeon uh, and if you were a wrestler that made it through uh, Stu Hart's school dungeon, whatever you want to call it, uh, into wrestling and then went ahead and worked for Stampede Wrestling, uh, it was pretty much, you know, the same instant credibility that, you know, if you had been trained and quote, unquote, graduated from Vern School, that promoters knew that whoever they were getting knew how to work. So Stu Hart was very well known. And I think that more than anything else triggered the other promoters uh, to say, uh-oh, uh, when Vince was able to buy Stu Hart and Stampede Wrestling, and that's what gave him his foothold to get the shows on the air in Canada, uh, that more than anything uh kind of was like a blinking red light that say, saying that this is this is real and Vince is right. going to achieve what he's got what he's out to do right I, I mean I I think if you would have asked all the promoters at that time to list the promotions least likely to be able to be bought out by Vince McMahon it, it would have been either the Von Erickson, Texas, or Stu Hart in Calgary would have been one, two. And that's because uh, Stu was just that much of a traditionalist where he wasn't going to break that territory system. Exactly, exactly. And like you say, uh, so many of the big stars were part of the Hart family tree sure. that, you know, Everyone was involved, and, and when that sale came out, uh, I think that's when all the other promoters around the country said, uh-oh, we're going to be in trouble here. Because ever, that you know, gave him the, the inroad all through Canada. Did you ever have any dealings with Stu Hart? Ever meet Stu? Any, no. any good stories of Stu? No, never met Stu. So I assume that you never met Helen either. Okay, just making sure, Ken. 
Yep, just <clears throat> Brett, the Anvil, Davy Boy, British Bulldog, you know, all of those. Uh, but no, never, never met uh, Stu. And it was funny. Uh, you know, I spent a year in uh, 1977. Uh, I lived in Calgary. I was with the Calgary Cowboys hockey team and went to a stampede wrestling match, but never, you know, it was just, you know, I had a ticket, you know, went backstage and never met anyone. So I had gone to a match uh, in Calgary, but never met Stuart Allen. Did Stu have a good reputation in, in the business as somebody that was a likable person? Like I, I, I've heard, you know, I, I try to stay up to date on, on a lot of the wrestling podcasts and, you know, so, I mean, transparently, I, uh, some of the information for this show is part of, it just comes out from listening to some of those shows. I love uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I love uh, Jim Ross's podcast, Grillin' JR. Love Jim Cornette. And they all have great stories. But sounds like some of the, some of the people that dealt with Stu back in, in the day, they, 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 they kind of give the impression that he was a little cranky. <laughs> Well, I, I, now again, I, I've never met him, so this is just kind of piecing together different stories. But I, I, I think Stu, in a lot of ways, was like you know Vince McMahon in that you know you didn't have any trouble; you could get along with him as long as you did exactly what he wanted you to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, like uh, Vince, I. I, I I don't think uh, you know Stu would come into a lot of meetings you know very open minded about what's going to happen. It was kind of like uh, I'm guessing Stu had the the same two rules that Vince had when I was there. Rule number one, you know, Vince is always right. Rule number two, if you think Vince is wrong, see rule number one again. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Stu kind of had that uh, same mentality, which is not all bad. Now, now listen, we'll go back through this again as we get later on in time, but at least at the time that you were part of the WWE, and, and we're not there yet in terms of this show, but so, so we'll go longer into this later, or later into this longer, whatever. Uh, was, did Stu have influence over the booking at all, uh, to your knowledge? I have no idea. Uh, I, I just, uh, you know, back when I was there, uh, you know, George Scott, Terry Garvin, Vince, uh, Pat Patterson, Arnie Skolan, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much the, the brain trust. Um, so I, if he did, it's not anything, you know, I uh, ever heard about. And just knowing how, uh WWF operated in those days, I, I would tend to doubt it, but I, I have no knowledge one way or the other. All right. Moving right along in November. So Andre the Giant and Big John Studd drew a lot of money, and they were one of the quote-unquote main events of WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, which uh, was coming up, and we'll talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks. But uh, on an episode of WWF Championship Wrestling, Andre the Giant and S.D. Jones on November 13th, 1984, defeated Heenan family members Big John Studd and Ken Patera at a TV taping in Poughkeepsie, which you uh, have 
told us before, that's where all of the tapings were after they moved out of Allentown. So when Stud and Patera are disqualified for throwing Jones over the top rope and excessive double teaming on Andre, uh, Bobby Heenan comes in with a pair of scissors and in a legendary moment, he cuts, uh, he hands the scissors to John Stud and cuts off some of Andre's hair. It reignites the feud. Eventually, uh, um, boils over into WrestleMania. So, Ken, I want to ask you, and, and again, you weren't there at this point, but Andre losing all of that mame that he had. You know, Andre had the, the big fluffy hair for so long. Was that a big moment in professional wrestling, and was that talked about around the territories? You know, it, it, it was talked about, but I, I don't think in the way you're thinking that it was just as big a star as Andre was. He was first and foremost uh, about the business. If you think about, as you said, he was known for, you know, the long flowing hair, sure. which he was willing to, to, you know, have cut to put forth an, an angle and, and add credence to, to a feud. And the other thing Andre was known for was having never been, you know, body slammed, lifted off his feet. And at WrestleMania three, he was willing to let Hulk do that because they felt it would be best for business and best to help Hulk, the, now the face of the franchise, move forward. So a lot of guys, you know, back then, I think it's different today, they talked about it in that someone as legendary and the, the status of Andre the Giant was still willing to do whatever he needed to do to help the business. And that's how uh, uh, people were more surprised that he was willing to get his hair cut and were certainly stunned uh, about the, the body slam uh, from a standpoint that, again, Andre was, you know, towards the, you know, the downward part of, of his career was willing to let that go promote the next guy up yeah and Andre was a was a guy that for up until that point I mean he generally wrestled squash matches I mean he was he was the guy that was an attraction he did a lot of handicap matches so you know you mentioned Stu Hart being a monumental moment where Vince takes over the territory and he cracks cracks a code almost you know that's that's a big moment where you know that He's got something going. Did this also signal to people that, wow, this Vince McMahon guy has some power and, and some, uh, some authority if he's convincing Andre the Giant to do what's best for business and cut his hair off? Well, I think anybody that had been around WWF already knew that Vince had some power. <laughs> it may have solidified it, but I, I don't think that that came as a shock to anyone. All right, December 28th, 1984. We're finally closing out 1984, and this was a big moment. Backstage during an arena show at New York City's Madison Square Garden. And by the way, I want to thank ProWrestling.Fandom.com for a lot of the information we're getting uh, to do these shows as we go back in history. And I also want to thank the wrestling websites for some of the comments. 411 Mania, WrestlingHeadlines.com. 
wrestle zone by mandatory. Those are the major ones that we try to scan for your comments as you listen to our shows. December 28th, backstage and arena show at Madison Square Garden. Reporter John Stossel was assaulted by David Schultz during an interview in which Stossel asked Schultz if wrestling was fake. Stossel later spirals suit against the WWF and Schultz seeking damages for injuries suffered at the incident. And then during the in-arena show, Captain Lou Albano, who was still a heel, and Cindy Lauper are recognized for their work with the Multiple Sclerosis Foundation. That's on the same show. The ceremony is sagged into a storyline, Ken, where Roddy Piper and Bob Orton interrupt it and attack Albano, Lauper, and David Wolf, who was Lauper's boyfriend and manager. And that facilitated Albano's face turn and sparked Roddy Piper's high-profile feud with Hulk Hogan and led into WrestleMania. There's two things that I want to unpack here on this December 28th event. Obviously, the David Schultz incident is big and historic, and it got a ton of coverage all around the world, not just the wrestling world. And then the Piper-Hogan incident with Cindy Lauper that ultimately created a WrestleMania. First on David Schultz. David Schultz does that. He eventually gets fired by the WWF. There's been a lot of talk that David Schultz would have been in the main event of WrestleMania, and he was going to be the heel for the territory. What do you think? Um, I, I, I don't know about that, but I think Vince was smart enough of everyone on the WWF roster. Vince knew that if anything was going to go wrong with that interview that Stossel was doing, and, you know, he knew the, what Stossel was after, that David Schultz would be the guy that would make it go wrong. Uh, and, and to some degree, uh, I, I believe Vince kind of set him up. Uh, whether he was going to be the main event uh, at, at WrestleMania, I don't know. Vince pretty much knows the main event at WrestleMania almost a year before and works backward, as you said. You know, the, the, the whole scenario with Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper, you know, being honored for the charity work, to be, you know, a, a heel being honored for his charity work. You know, Vince laid everything out perfect. But there is no question that that incident pretty much ended David's wrestling career. Yeah, so you think maybe Vince set him up and Schultz wasn't really in on him being set up and and they they just got him and they used him for the promotion they needed to make WrestleMania happen. Well, and, and you know, also understand all the mainstream media coverage of what happened to John Stossel, who, you know, was a, a legitimate journalist. I mean, that footage has been played, you know, it was on every news show. So suddenly you had people that had probably never watched wrestling before tune in to see what this whole thing was all about. So I just think, I mean, I, I, I don't know that Vince, you know, told Stossel to, to, to uh, told Dr. Schultz, David Schultz to, to nail Stossel, but I think Vince had a pretty good idea what might happen because he knew what Stossel was going to ask. And, and did that incident make it back to 
Minneapolis. Did did did, did uh was that did that sound some bells in in AWA land? Oh, I, I mean that that incident made it you know as they used to say coast to coast and border to border. Uh, <laughs> that that was played on on every news show. And, you know, him filing the lawsuit, you know, ju- just kept it alive. But like I say, I mean, you know, you can say what you want about how wrestling's become sports entertainment, but Vince McMahon is a master marketer. And he knew that when that thing blew up and was going to be played on every news show and talked about that a lot of fans that had never looked at or people had never watched pro wrestling suddenly we're tuning into WWF to find out what this whole thing is all about. I mean, I I don't think any incident received more mainstream stream coverage for wrestling than did the David Schultz, John Stossel incident to that point. And interesting, Ken, that it's the same show and both of those things uh, got major exposure or they were both you know one led to exposure and the other is uh leading to the ultimately the the biggest event in wrestling up to that period of time you had starcade in 83 and 84 also was which was a major wrestling event but this involvement of david wolf and cindy lauper was different than almost anything before and we're leading into wrestlemania and we come to the end of 1984 we'll talk much more about that next week i do want to remind everybody if you get a chance go on uh, vocnation.com or if you subscribe to voc nation on any of the pod apps there's a q a that i hosted uh with uh, wwe hall of famer the mouth of the south jimmy hart uh, for uh, a business function. It wasn't anything to do with VOC Nation or wrestling. Jimmy, uh, of course, respects the WWE's rules with uh, how they do podcasts and things like that. But Jimmy did a Q&A at a, at a business event, and I was honored to MC and host the Q&A. And Jimmy talks about working with David Wolf and the, uh, the music and wrestling part that really came, you know, into the, the forefront at this period of time. So it was, uh, it was a great time and make sure you go back and listen. And uh, if you just Google it, the websites cover it as well, the wrestling sites. So Ken, we've come to the end of 1984 and next week we get to finally talk some about 1985 and the lead into WrestleMania. And, and it was fitting and, and closing from my standpoint, again, if you look at everything that Vince condensed into that one house show at Madison Square Garden, the cover linking Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper and music to, to wrestling and charity from a positive standpoint, creating these huge feuds moving forward, and the Stossel David Schultz incident, you could argue that that may have been one of the most formative house shows in the history of wrestling. <laughs> We started this uh, eight-week journey into 84 by saying Hulkamania was born. And now we go probably into the next eight weeks or so. Uh, we'll see how long this lasts with saying that rock and wrestling was born. So we'll pause there and, uh, and we'll get your feedback as we go into next week on 
1984 in general. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Follow this show. It's at Resnick VOC Pod. So all one word, Resnick VOC Pod. Uh, get us your comments there or uh, drop it wherever you see this show posted. It could be your favorite wrestling news site. You can email Bruce at VOCNation.com as well. And next week, we'll hopefully have more on our negotiation with legendary pro wrestling journalist, the original pro wrestling journalist, Bill Apter. Maybe we can close that out and give you some good news going into next year. And uh, more on the other potential addition to VOC Nation as well. So stay tuned and subscribe to VOC Nation Radio Network and make sure you don't miss anything right here. So that's it for this week. For Killer Ken Resnick, I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. Thanks for listening to Wrestling With History worldwide on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Right here is the future of wrestling.